0: Welcome to another episode of Nebraska Gems. With our in-depth interviews, we reveal the qualities that make the people that come from the good life who they are. In the stories you're about to hear, you'll get an understanding of why there is no place like Nebraska. And now, here's Mike Melby. In
1: part one of my conversation with Tim Sheridan, you heard stories about the beginning of Tim's career and a crazy idea that he had back in 1991 that would eventually lead to the start of one of the biggest and baddest rock stations on the planet. In part two, we'll talk about some of the funniest bits Tim and the Animal ever did on The Blaze, some goofy morning show guests, and the career whiplash that comes from doing a morning show on a hard rock station to doing news on KFAB, plus some ghost hunting talk and how life is treating him today. Now here's part two of my conversation with Tim Sheridan. Of all the guests you had on, one one of the funniest, I think, mainly because I, I heard how large the crowd was that showed up to see him was Gallagher.
0: Yeah, yeah he it just was- recently passed, and, and it, of course, made me think of that time. I don't know what year this is, like 2002, 2003. We're in the Omaha studio at this point. It's when the station is simulcasting on 93.3 The Dam and one of. A- 1041. <laughs> one oh one. That's a whole other story right there. Yeah. I'm going to get to that. Oh, could we? Oh, yeah, that's please. That's going to have to be how the station went from 1063 to 1041. It still pisses me off to this day. Well, uh, anyway, I digress and I do that a lot. Ultimately, Gallagher comes into the station. He has a gig uh, later that day at uh, Civic or wh- whatever it was. So we're talking about like 2002, maybe 2000. Three, so Gallagher shows up, and he looks like he's still drunk from the night before, but he's a very kind man, and he comes in, and he goes, "Yeah, I got a big show tonight," and so ultimately we go, "Well, man, we could, if nothing else, you got to smash stuff." I mean, that's he literally had that that mallet in his car. He had it. He <laughs> travels with the damn thing. He has it in the car. Of course he does. Of course he does. So. We set it up. We Johnny Royal decides he's going to go outside. He gets he gets in the parking lot. We set some tables up, and then there's this uh, mom and pop store that's got produce and groceries and things. We go over there, and whichever one of us had ten dollars went in there, and bought all the produce that we could possibly buy. We uh, we set up the remote mic, and then Johnny Royal and Gallagher go outside. Gallagher gets on top of the the damn van and jumps up and down on it to draw attention and dents it. And the guy is kind of like out of control. And then John and I are inside the studio, and Johnny Royals out with Gallagher. And they set these things up on the table. And there's like a there's like a crowd of ten people there. It's just a massive crowd. So here's Gallagher doing his shtick. He's doing a show that he would be doing later that night. He's smashing these things on this table, and people literally just sat, you know, as close to it as possible, and got just covered. With all this produce it was it was a surreal moment because he was a great guest, but it was a it's like it came out of nowhere you couldn't have you couldn't possibly have had to set something like that up it it just it just all happened naturally it was pretty bizarre
1: the blaze was a whopping three thousand watts for four or five years
0: well it was uh the one oh six three frequency had been three thousand watts for many many years, and then in nineteen ninety Nine, it finally is able to go 100,000 watts. This has been our lifelong dream. We heard from every blue-collar guy that's possible during our career there. Roofers, gutter guy, people who uh, lay lay sod, cement. It's just an amazing array of guys, hardworking guys, that are doing their thing, that have the radio with them. That was so awesome to be a part of their morning regimen and so we were so excited we get this 100,000 watt station ultimately again at this time i have moved to the omaha studio and it's 106.3 the blaze and 93.3 the dam and then at some point it's it's decided that my 106.3 would be a great adult contemporary station and move the blaze to the old planet signal 1041 which is a much smaller signal I couldn't tell you exactly when that happened. I want to say it was in early 2000 because our simulcast in the mornings was 106.3 and 93.3. And then there was an overlap for a short period of time where our show was on 104.1, 106.3 and 93.3. And then they turned off the 106.3 and had that become my 106.3. And then our show was on one oh four one and 93.3. Until 93.3, the dam was blown up in 2004, and then I moved back to the Lincoln Studios in uh, March of 2004. Somewhere in, I want to say it was in 2000 that the station went from 100,000 watts to 38,000, and that was a kick in the gut. That was too bad. It
1: really was, and then they they ultimately wind up moving KFRX over to 106.3 and sell 1027 because, of course, it's all about the mighty dollar.
0: There's so many things that happened over the 20 years of the station that I look back on. Some of it was awesome. Some of it was not awesome. But that's true in a walk of life. The bus trips were always
1: so <laughs> fun. Do, yeah. do you have
0: a favorite bus trip? Um, there, there were really some good ones, and it wasn't because I drank too much, because I never really drank at shows, because you get dehydrated and you feel awful. There was a couple of Lollapaloozas there in Des Moines that were pretty pretty intense not because of alcohol it was just because it was hot as hell probably the traveling guns and roses metallica tour that one stands out because we gave away a trip to see metallica and guns and roses at arrowhead and then in mile high stadium in denver we have to take listeners back to meet the bands right and a lot of people think that meeting bands backstage is the coolest thing ever Sometimes it really is the coolest thing ever. The bands are awesome. They meet the people. They act like they want to be there. Then there are times where the band doesn't want to be there. They act like they don't want to be there, and they act like you're intruding on their space when it was set up with their management for you to be there in the first place. That being said, the Guns N' Roses Metallica, we've got uh, this, this one particular, as I recall, things went pretty well in Kansas City, and Gabe took people back to meet the listeners, took them there. And then I took people back to meet listeners, um, uh, the listeners to meet Metallica. And because they opened the show in Denver. So we go back. Metallica, every time I met them, could not have been nicer guys, very accommodating, act like they wanted to be there, very cool with the fans, shake their hand, listen to them talk, sign whatever. It was like, This is rock and roll royalty right here. Metallica, they're on top of the world. They don't act like they're all that. And it's really awesome to see them interact with listeners. However, the other band, Guns N' Roses, not so much as you would expect. We're told that uh, we were supposed to meet Guns N' Roses after Metallica. So we're sitting there, and I'm here with like six people. So we're waiting, 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 and their tour manager comes. Now it's after the Guns N' Roses show. Oh, okay. When a manager tells you that you're going to meet the man after the show, you know that's not going to go well because they're tired, they're hot, they don't want to deal with people. When you get pushed to after the show, unless you're a hot groupie, this is not going to go well. So we go back to our seats. Again, mile high, good 10-minute walk to get clear back to our seats, this giant stadium. Show's over. Everybody's going this way. We have to go the opposite way. Get back up there. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, you got to go in this other room because they're cleaning. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Oh, they're just not feeling it tonight. Sorry, guys. Really? They're not feeling it. Awesome. And then we're like, this is really ridiculous. Just say you don't want to meet them. Don't make everybody jump through all these hoops. Well, the record guy who got us to this point, he says, dude, Here. Here are VIP passes to the post-show. This is where all the bands go. We get into this backstage area where not only Guns N' Roses is at, but Metallica is at as well. And whoever the third band was. There was a third band on that tour. I don't remember who it was. So ultimately, I worked out better. Slash is literally walking around with a bottle of Jack Daniels in his hand. I mean, it's talk about a stereotype. It was like, <laughs> dude's walking around with Jack Daniels. The only people that were at this were like girls and, you know, as you would expect. People were able to meet Slash. And unfortunately, this is pre-cell phone. You can't get great pictures. There's no pictures of it. But listeners finally got to, boy, this is a really long story, isn't it? But I, I want to mention this. This is one of my all-time favorite backstage stories. And I will be very brief. We were giving a, we did a pre corn show at a, at a bar in downtown Omaha. Corn's playing at Civic. Come on down to this bar. Register. To win backstage passes and tickets to see Corn. All right, so we're I'm doing a remote at the thing. We're we're giving away the tickets. This one kid shows up and he goes, "I can't go in. I'm not 21, but can I register?" I go, "Sure." So we bring the box out. He registers. There's two or three other kids that were 19, 20 because it didn't. You didn't have to be 21 to register. You just had to be 21 to be in the bar. So they register. And then a um, uh, waitress pulls out the winner. It happens to be the kid wearing the corn shirt that that was so anxious to to go in. He hap- he legitimately won. He was so excited. Uh, we go back to the show. I have it set up with a record person because corn they don't meet a lot of people. We go we go in there. We go back. The guys will be out shortly, and I'm thinking I know how this is going to go. I'm already told that Jonathan doesn't come out and monkey this or insert other nickname here doesn't do this and doesn't and i go this is just it's going to be unfortunate for him that it's disappointing well, ultimately what happens is the entire band comes out and not only does jonathan come out but he like comes up to the kid and goes dude thank you so much for being a fan i'm like whoa where did this come from they were so awesome with this kid not only signed they uh, they actually gave him a drum head all signed it the whole band was there. And the record guy says, I've never seen on this tour the entire band come out. That's the only time that he has seen the entire band come out. And this kid got like the ultimate in, in a gift. We're, we're leaving after it happens. I, I go out and thank the guys for doing it for the listener. And he's like jumping up and down in the air and throwing his fist in the air. He was so excited. I was like, man, that is awesome. That's what this is all about, is bands having a connection with their fans. And it actually went off completely without a hitch. Everybody in corn was so cool with this kid. It was awesome. That just that's one of my favorite stories. One of the questions I was gonna ask you is who
1: was the nicest, coolest, most laid back, gave you or the listeners the most interesting and best story in a backstage experience. And then the flip side, who was the absolute worst? And I'm gonna take Guns N' Roses out of it just because Axl Rose is a jackass. And-
0: well, he didn't come well, out actually and meet it, anyone, yeah, anyone Anyway, of the ones that
1: you met, what what's like the worst experience you ever had
0: uh ugly kid joe wasn't my favorite experience with a man oh whitfield crane down at homers do you remember that oh i remember it quite well (laughs) and the short version is legal action took place because of actions uh that he did it was all taken care of ultimately but that was a scare for a while that's that's 101 on how not to act on a live radio broadcast that yeah. he, was, he was doing things. But, I you know, the rest of the guys in Ugly Kid Joe were cool. I don't remember any really awful experiences. Maybe, maybe bands didn't want to be there. A lot of the bands that we had on the show or backstage, these were up-and-coming bands who tried hard, you know, to be awesome so we could be with them and, uh, you know, promote their album and so on. But ultimately, the coolest guy of all the bands by far is Jesse from Jackal. I mean, this man oh. is is a friend of mine to this day. Every single time he comes to Lincoln, I make sure, my wife and I make sure that we go see him. I've probably seen him 25 times. There is nobody nicer. The, the dude has lots of great stories with not only John Kladner and Aerosmith, and that's for a whole nother time. It's Really cool how he's he's told me several times about some of the them getting signed to Geffen and and making it on the radio and and then uh, Gabe was the one probably the the one person who started playing the Lumberjack song before any other radio station in the country because that song was buried on the CD and the short uh, way to explain how this works from record companies is a record company. Has, has a release schedule of cuts. And they wanna start with I Stand Alone or whatever the first song was from the Jackal release. And then after this song starts to get old, then we're gonna move on to this song. Well, Gabe didn't care about whatever their schedule was because Gabe listens to the whole CD. I Stand Alone is cool, we're playing that song on the Blaze, but he really loved the Lumberjack song. So we're playing that. And we start playing it and listeners are like, man, that Lumberjack song is awesome kibz is playing the lumberjack way before anybody in the united states is playing the song it's blowing up homers or twisters or whatever it was at the time calls and says man we can't keep the jackal cd in stores it's people in lincoln are buying it at an incredible rate the band calls up jesse calls up goes dude what are you guys doing we can't keep the cds no actually it was tim what what are you doing with the jackal cd tim he was not only their lead singer, but their business manager, he's everything. And he's like, whatever you guys are doing, we're we're at your disposal. You need a band, we come in. Well, we know how many times Jackal has been in Lincoln because he's always thought of Lincoln as being his home away from home because he's so, the band was so well embraced from the beginning days that especially the Lumberjack song. And Jesse has said many times that we were the first station and Gabe and, and Jesse were close and he was close with, lot of us at the station it was i was he's he's my guy if you're if you're gonna in my 20 years of dealing with bands jesse's my guy i would agree gabe was famous for
1: that um a band that we've mentioned already in this, this interview it was wild and looks like love was the biggest single i think that we played locally or the most popular i mean they had hang on lucy and uh, so far away and a couple others. But Looks Like Love was the one that was the most popular, had the most requests, etc.
0: It was never released by Capitol Records. Yeah, the band came along, unfortunately, at the, at the worst possible Horrible time. They time. come out right at the beginning of grunge, and nobody cared about the hair band sound that that band had, unfortunately. As great as the band, if they would have come out two or three years earlier, they would have been huge. If yeah. they would have come out in 1990, 1989, it would have been great for them, but it just... Because it was well-produced. It was a very popular CD, and it's very hard to find now if you can find it anywhere. And it, there was a lot of those bands that I felt bad for in 1992 that were just trying to get to get on, and then, boom, and then everything's Pearl Jam, everything's Nirvana, everything is whatever. And I remember a, a, a quick show at the Ranch Bowl from and Axe, and they were trying to hold on for dear life of relevance, you know, and they just couldn't because who's playing Lillian Axe in 1992? Well, K-Rock in Omaha and K-I-B-Z is playing it. At this time, this was another bad thing. Lincoln didn't really have a venue for us to put bands because The Grove was mostly doing local bands at this time. So we didn't have a place where we could just bring bring in a band anytime they wanted. If the record company called and says, yeah, Lillian Axe wants to come to town. The famous story is White Zombie wants to come into Lincoln. We're going to route our way through Lincoln because K-I-B-Z is playing playing the songs. And uh, it's a Wednesday, and we're trying to get White Zombie at the Royal Grove, and Tommy says, no, that's amateur night. <laughs> so <laughs> amateur night precluded having White Zombie play the Royal Grove. So it's like, well, if it had been Thursday or Tuesday, sure. But no, not amateur night, sorry. Okay. That is so sad. We'll tell Rob Zombie you said no thanks. Uh, Ah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of frustrating stories like that that listeners never knew. What's the best concert you ever saw? Metallica at Sandstone. It was rainy. It wasn't heavy rain. You could see clear off in the distance while the band is on the show. And there's a light rain. It was the middle of summer. It was hot. And you could just see the rain with the lights coming down. It was just a perfect night. My wife and I both say that is probably the coolest show I've ever seen. And we had great seats for the Metallica show. So Metallica at Sandstone, whatever year that was, that was awesome. I've seen Rush a few times. I was able to get front row tickets to see ACDC in Minneapolis. This would have been about 1996. Six early 1997 to see ACDC in the front row incredible legends I was like wow your mouth is I mean you get jaded in this business but you're watching legends at work here and it's like wow they're larger than life and then got a chance to meet them later after the show and they're all like five foot two and <laughs> it's like wow but man they couldn't have been more accommodating but that those shows come to mind
1: One of the shows that we all have attended, uh, numerous of his shows, Gary Hoey, wound up recording
0: WTFU for you guys. Where did the idea come from? I don't remember which one of us, John or I, said, hey, cut us an intro, but he did. And it was like a mix of the national anthem and uh, his own jam. So we played that at the beginning of our show every day. It was like about a minute long.
1: I Yeah, I, I have to make one one little smart-ass comment. Um, I played that at the beginning of your show most days because you and John normally were not there at 6 o'clock. So. No,
0: of course we weren't. <laughs> I was notoriously late. I'll be the first to admit, and I know John was frustrated with this, especially in the latter years, I was never on time. I was never on time. And any prep that I did, and I was listening to the Joe Scar podcast, and he was notorious for being early. He spent, that man spent a lot of time doing show prep. The cool part of our show was I did no show prep and John did the show prep and he surprised me with all the stuff. So when I would laugh, it was because it was really funny. That's the 1st time hearing of it. 99% of the things John did on the show, I had no idea was coming. And we kept that formula all the way through the show that I never knew what was coming. He would find all of these 200 cats in a house stories and things like that. And I would just, the way he presented them to me was, he literally was, for 20 years, he was telling me these bits that, oh, by the way, we happen to be on the air. That's why I think the show worked, because he told them in such an amazing way that I literally was laughing. There were times I was on the floor laughing so hard that was none of those any of that laughing was not radio fake laugh. It was blowing me away with these amazing stories. Chicken in the well comes to mind. Chicken in the well. In the News Digest on page two. Okay.
2: Where are we going? Cairo. We're going to Egypt. Cool. Ooh, pyramids. Oh, and, man, uh, I watched a cool show last night on the pyramids, too. About wow. this guy who was uh, cracking the, uh, back in the uh, 1800s, trying to crack the mystery of how to get in the pyramids. It was really cool. Anyway, wow. that's a different story. But, yeah. uh. There's this chicken, see? There's this chicken in, in Cairo. Chickens nice. are all over the place. But this particular chicken fell into a well. Well, just like Bart Simpson. <laughs> yeah, just like Bart Simpson.
0: <laughs> Except this
2: well had water in it. Uh-oh. 60 feet down to, that, uh, to the water. 60 feet down to just to hit the water. All right, that's a big, deep well. So the farmer says, well, I got to get my chicken out of there because that's money. You're going to have to well sound effects. Here, Here, you do that. All you right. do that. So the eighteen. This is an eighteen-year-old kid. He's a farmer. This is his chicken. He's gonna go in and get it back because chicken over there, you know, that's some money. So you gotta, you know, retrieve
0: it. All right.
2: And it it looks like, as far as he can tell, it's still alive.
0: That's probably going. It's probably at the bottom of the well right now, going.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So the eighteen-year-old farmer descends into the sixty-foot well. He drowns. He drowns. Oh, that's awful. The undercurrent in the water pulled him down. You think, what is the disbelief in this story? Yeah, that's, well, a guy died trying to save a chicken. That's kind of sad, but... Well, his his sister said, I got to go in and save my, uh... I got to go in and and save my brother. So she's going down into the well. She's She's being lowered down in the well? going down in there. She drowns. Oh, my... That's two people died. That's horrible. One of his other brothers. Oh, no. He gets on the rope. No. He descends down in the well. He gets pulled under by the undercurrent. He drowns. <laughs> this is three people now so far, kids. There's another brother. He says, I gotta go in and save my family. My family's down there drowning at the bottom of the well. I to be a hero. He gets to the bottom of the well. He drowns. <laughs> Two old people come walking up. This is like a joke. This is like I'm telling some kind of joke. There's four people dead at the bottom of this well so far. Two more people come up. One of them says, Well, I think we maybe better help them people down at the bottom of the well. One of them gets lowered down in. He drowns. (laughs) So we have five people now at the bottom of the well dead. And there's still one guy left up. He ties a rope around a tree and says, I'm going to go down to help my buddy out. Six people dead in the bottom of the well. Because of a chicken. Because of Because of a chicken. The bodies of the six were later pulled out of the well. The chicken was also pulled out. The chicken was alive. Six humans died to save a chicken. The chicken lived. The humans did not.
0: Humans versus chicken. Chicken wins. Chicken wins. Who'd have thought it? That was one of the all time great stories. I had tears in my eyes. I mean, there were things out there that I knew we were going to talk about because it was so much in the news that I knew it was going to come up. But how he presented it to me, I didn't know how he was going to do it. There were certain things that we did on the show that I knew was coming at some point, or we planned for this discussion at certain times. So we had enough time to talk about it because there were certain times during the show when we didn't have the time to present it properly because we'd get, we would notoriously be late. We'd be going on and on. And next thing you know, we have all these commercials and then it's like, (laughs) dude, we got to get caught up. it was, it was always a fight against the clock on our show because we'd get going. And then it's like, dude, we're way late. I got to get this break in. And then we talk for a minute and then I got another break in and just so we can get caught up and it would get frustrating because then we got to do sports. And the next thing you know, we, we got to get the commercials have to air before the top of the hour. So we're like, and then sports would come on. And then if the Steelers did something awesome, he would go on about the Steelers, which would irritate me. And he'd kind of gloss, gloss over the fact that the Vikings did something good. So then I'd have to make sure i get in there and say, whoa, 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 let's not forget the Vikings are 15-1. and They and go, yeah, 15-1. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. So we'd have some fun with things like that.
1: What's the favorite April Fool's Day joke that you and John played oh, on, Lincoln?
0: easy. First one we did, Eddie Van Halen at Dietz Music. It was all set up. Stop by Dietz. Get your picture taken with Eddie Van Halen. We were very careful not to say he's alive. Or he's in person, I should say. So knowing how our listeners were, we hired a limo to come by the station and just sit there. And we used it as a decoy because everybody followed the limo that was at the radio station. I mean, it was obvious people were there to, to wait for Eddie Van Halen to get out of this limo. So he gets, uh, we, we get in the limo and we drive it around town. We already have this stand-up of Eddie Van Halen at Dietz. This is the downtown location in the original building. I believe it was on the, the one floor up, if I'm not mistaken. There was yep. a line outside Dietz that went clear down the street. People were going to get their picture taken with Eddie Van Halen. And they were excited. We said, not signing anything. We don't have time for autographs. Just a picture taken with Eddie Van Halen. We did not think there would be a line clear down the road, snakes inside Dietz, all the way up the stairs, down the hall, And here we are in this little room, and then I'm starting to get scared. We're both like, dude, this is like way more than we thought it was going to be because we were pretty new to the market at this point. This is April of 1993. We had barely been together for six months, not even six months. So it's like, okay, are you guys ready? Here we go. It's Eddie Van Halen. Make some noise. Everybody's like, "Ah, oh, my God, it's Van Halen walk out with the stand-up they're like okay that's stand-up here it is get your picture taken with Eddie Van Halen April Fool's <laughs> oh what the f is this what is that a man what's up with that oh people were pissed oh they were mad we didn't think about that part of it <laughs> we thought no yeah this is gonna <laughs> be funny no it wasn't so funny when you're standing outside for that long and people are leaving. Go, blah blah blah. They effed us, man, because of uh, April Fools. To this day, we still hear about that. That was awesome. Um, I <laughs> yeah, thought, it's awesome wh- for for you because you weren't standing. Because I line. wasn't there, but there were people uh, that were that later on got over it. But they were there were some people pissed. I thought, oh, God, I hope we don't have a problem here at Dietz because they'll never let us in the door again. Oh no, kidding. Yeah, that could it could have yeah, gone. Could have gone. It cou- yeah, head. it could have gone badly, but. Everybody like, oh, was April Fool's? Okay, oh, that's funny. Then we always knew we would never top that, but then every April Fool's we were going to do something. Then we had free gas, and then we gave people pork and beans. And then the next year, yeah, free gas. They go, I'm not going to fall for it. We literally did give away free gas. So people were so leery of us doing pork and beans that we literally did tell people, well, free gas here. Here's uh, 10 gallons of gas, and they were filling up. By the time everybody got word that it literally was gasoline, and we were done because it was from like seven to nine or whatever. Who is your favorite current musical artist, and who's your all-time favorite? Well, I would say that's a tough one. To be honest with you, I don't listen to current music. I Fair usually enough. when I when I get in my car, it's serious XM. I kind of I guess I I become a traitor to my own career, but ultimately I'll listen to the eighties, the nineties. Um, I, I, I've kind of got into the alternative eighties and nineties music that I kind of never really listened to so much during my career because I was playing different music at the time. So I kind of missed out on, on all of the, you know, the, the Depeche modes and all of those sorts of bands, you know, the eighties and nineties. And so I'm kind of catching up a little bit on some of that music. But, you know, there, there's a lot of bands all the way up through. I'm, I mean, I have a nine-year-old, so I am hip to some of the new artists that are out there now. And she loves to do her TikToks. And, and some of the TikTok music is, you know, music from the 80s and 90s. And she goes, how do you know that song? Well, I played that song when it was new in 1986. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny how music kind of recycles itself. Very true. Who's your favorite all-time band or you know, all-time favorite band? You know, I guess I'll just always go back to Metallica. I, I've always, you know, I wasn't there from the very beginning of, of their career as far as, you know, going back to the 80s, sort of the music. But I, I just, I guess I like Metallica because I, I like them personally because they were always accommodating and always nice. I always liked Aerosmith. Aerosmith was another great experience of meeting the band. You go up and you take the listeners to meet Aerosmith. That's when Jackal opened for Aerosmith on that particular show. And it was, hi, I'm Steven. And you're like, that's so cute. Steven Tyler's introducing himself <laughs> to me. That, that's adorable. That's so I'm Steven. Oh, hi, uh, Steven, did you say? Yeah, nice to meet you. I, I guess you have a band. Um, Not familiar with your work. How about your favorite song of all time? Oh. Uh, You know, I don't know if I have a favorite song of all. You know, 45 years of radio, the music kind of all just runs together. What's your least favorite? Oh, Dust in the Wind from Kansas. That song, I, if, it's just, no. (laughs) I can't, I'm not listening to a station that would ever play Dust in the Wind. Oh. You know, I don't mind "Carry on Wayward Son. I mean, it's a good rock song. I don't have anything against the band Kansas, but Dust in the Wind, it just makes me. John and I both talked on the air what our least favorite songs. His was Old Time Rock and Roll, and mine was Dust in the Wind. And we never had a fear of ever having to play those on our show. But once in a while, I'd pop up, bob Seeger so he could enjoy it for a moment and he'd start screaming <laughs> we'll be right back to nebraska gems after this
1: for all of your concrete needs call kramer concrete at 402-560-0670 do you have a cracked driveway or sidewalk are you in need of an egress window or an awesome looking new patio with stamped concrete If so, call Tim Kramer at 402-560-0670 to get a free estimate. With over 20 years of experience, the Kramer Concrete staff specializes in concrete replacement, egress windows, and concrete patio design. Kramer Concrete is the low-cost solution to all of your concrete problems. Call Tim today at 402-560-0670. Thank you for listening to another edition of Nebraska Gems. We hope you're enjoying the episode. Don't forget to check out our latest feature, Quick Gems, where our guests share a few shorter stories that we think you'll find entertaining. You can find those and all of our episodes at nebraskagyms.com. Every Sunday evening from 5 to 7 on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. Tune in for the Husker Rewind with myself, Mike Melby, and my co-host, Tom Stevens. We'll have all of the latest on the Huskers, plus other happenings going on in the sports world. That's the Husker Rewind. Sunday evenings from 5 to 7 on 93.7 The Ticket.
0: And now back to this episode
1: of Nebraska Gems. I would be remiss if I did not ask you about one of the coolest things that the Blaze did every single year, and that is the camp out for kids.
0: It was an awesome uh, thing to be a part of. We, we met so many people over the years that needed help at some point. At the beginning, uh, it was – no, it's Toys for Tots at the beginning. Toys for Tots, then, we were hooking up with the Marine Corps. And Toys for Tots, obviously, is a national thing. And as we got to know more about the Toys for Tots organization, it's totally legit and everything, except everything that you raise goes to their headquarters, and then they, in turn, distribute it to areas of need. So eventually, as we did the Toys for Tots, it it evolved to Camp Out for Kids, and we hooked up with the Lincoln Action Program and everything that we raised every dollar and every donation went to Lincoln and Lancaster County everybody was a lot more on board with it that way so we knew that everything we were doing was local and it was a great organization to work with so they always had representatives with us but this was after several years of doing toys for tots with the marines and then and then it evolved so we're in front of NBC for years like 2 years and then we move over to 27th and uh, Husker area, the, uh, was it, um, let's see, Super Saver, Home Depot Walmart, area. Yeah, Walmart. Walden, Walmart Superior. Right. And then one year, we, at the last minute, we were going to do it at a convenience store somewhere in South Lincoln. And at the last minute, it was like, we can't set up our tent that close to fuel pumps, which is probably a good idea in retrospect.
2: <laughs>
0: so, yes. They didn't have enough room for that, so we ended up moving it to the High V. What was that, Fourteenth Street? After that, I think we went back to the other locations. But ultimately, this thing started. John and I sitting at a table at Thirteenth and O with a blaze banner in front of it, and we couldn't, we couldn't, we couldn't get any publicity at all from the paper. It's like they we didn't exist. We weren't trying to do it for ourselves. Obviously, we wanted people to be aware of it. Outside of our show, we wanted people to be aware that we were there so people knew where to donate. So, it was very frustrating in those early years to get enough of the publicity that we thought that it deserved to help raise money for not only the Lincoln Action Program but the, the Lancaster County. But, you know, fast forward, then we end up in these giant heated tents there 27th and and it was and then by this time we're getting help from Bobby from pears. He's bringing in, um, he's reuniting his crew and he's bringing all the pears burgers down to our campout site. This was years after pears had closed. You're able to get your uh, favorite pears burgers. Once again, rhythm and blues for me, the blue cheese, the Jiffy burgers, and he, they were doing all of it and it was great to have. And the people were excited, like peel pears burgers. Oh my God, I am in. And people had come down. It was great. And all the money, 100% of it went to the uh, campout. So, it, it was a great time to help out others, and we met a lot of people along the way that needed help at one point, and they were coming down there to uh, donate, uh, pay it forward, if you will. And one year, um, Vanilla Ice was in town; he was playing at the Grove. He came down to our campout after the show, and somebody was passed out at the campout, so Vanilla Ice signed his forehead. <laughs> it's like those those <laughs> memes that you see, but I saw it happen in real. In real life, Vanilla Ice signs this guy's forehead and gets a picture taken with him. He's passed out. There's a picture of me with Vanilla Ice. It wasn't me, but whoever it was, that guy can say, hey, uh, there's a picture of me and Vanilla Ice is standing next to me while i passed out. Uh, Head PE came down. They bought bicycles for the kids. So there was there was a lot of... Uh, Ron Jeremy, the adult film star, came down because uh, he was in town with a, a traveling porn star. So... Here we had adult movie stars at our camp out for kids, which of these things don't belong. So all of the years of doing the camp out for kids, there were a lot of adventures that took place, a lot of technical issues and so on, but it was all worth it. What's the most money you guys raised in a single year? Do you remember? As in the forties. That's pretty one. Awesome. Of, one of our most successful one was I think we hit in in the low when it was all said and done, low to mid forties, I think, in our campout, and that was because uh, there was this Blaze listener who was uh, a very successful businessman. that was a Blaze listener, and he sold his company for seven or eight figures, so he was able to come down and just buy all the guitars. He could buy anything that he wanted, and obviously all the money went to the campout, so it worked out really well uh, to have um, a listener that had done so well for himself.
1: February, I think, of 2012, uh, not your favorite month. Your career at
0: the Blaze ends. Did you think your radio career was over at that point? No, I didn't think it was over. I knew it was going to be different, though, because I was let go about, what was it, two weeks before the Blaze's 20th anniversary, which I thought was kind of weak. If they would have just come to me and said, dude, budget cuts, we're going to have to let you go, but we'll let you stay through the 20th anniversary show. And if I could have left on what would have sounded like my own terms, the company would have saved themselves a lot of hassle. But being blown out like I was at the last minute, all hell broke loose. And it was a very difficult time because people were pissed. I honestly felt like this time that I had died and I got to be at my funeral because my phone literally got so many voicemails and phone calls, it shut off. It was the most amazing thing I had ever seen. One of the, uh, in fact, it's one of your podcasts, John Chapo left uh, an amazing voicemail. He probably doesn't even remember this, but he left me an amazing voicemail about perseverance. Dude, I'm so sorry to hear that this happened. And I don't believe he said, dude, but I'm paraphrasing. But it was, it was an awesome message from someone who I knew because we had him on the show a bunch of times, that he took the time to leave me a message like that. It was awesome, and I heard from so many people that I I didn't know that well, and some people that I didn't know at all that were giving me encouragement. So it was really it was really uh, an amazing time. But at the same time, my wife was pregnant, and so you're it's a very scary time. You're like, what the hell am I going to do? I only know radio. Well, lo and behold, Lester St. James was working in Omaha at the time. And that's when 96 One The uh, Brew was going. He goes, Hey, I, I only have part time, but you want to come up and do some time at 96 One The Brew? So then I started working there. That's in the same building as KFAB. And I knew Gary Saddlemeyer already from um, many different meetings, didn't know him real well. But uh, Gary and I became friends while I was at The Brew. And then they changed the format on 96 One The Brew to uh, 96 One Kiss FM. Gary says, hey, you want to do news? I go, news on KFAB, seriously? Sure, that sounds fun. So I went from morning show on The Blaze to doing morning news on KFAB. You talk about a uh, whiplash in your career. That was interesting. You know, the funny thing about that was the bumper music that KFAB used was the music that The Blaze played. (laughs) They they used Godsmack. They used Korn. They used a lot of the 90s rock music as intro beds to segments. I go, wow, what, what kind of bizarre world am I in that they'd come back from a commercial break and there'd be like, I stand alone or, or whatever the the song would be. And I go, wow. But I did morning news at KFAB. And it's like, I guess if you're going to do news at a radio station in the Midwest, KFAB is the place to do it. I can't believe they had me do it to this day, but I did. I just had to pronounce the people's names correctly because I know, didn't know I, who the hell they were. So then ultimately the KFAB gig, uh, there's an opportunity to do mornings on KGOR, again, a legendary station. So I did mornings for a few years at KGOR, and then again, budgets. So then um, currently I'm now working for a, a company called Local Radio Networks. And this is a company that hires radio people from around the country. Joe Scar works at this company as well. And what you do is that you record voice tracks for radio stations around the country that are a part of the network so i'm on a classic hits network that's uh that has stations all over the country or i'm I'm in a lot of different small markets media markets around the country and it's kind of fun but i'm not on the air locally in the lincoln omaha area but a lot of stations in iowa minnesota kansas i'm in dodge city kansas i'm in nashville tennessee i'm in a, a town in oregon Uh, There's a station in Cali. There's one down in southern Louisiana. There's one in Florida. There's one in West Virginia. There's Texas down in the Dallas area. Not in Dallas itself, but close. So it's kind of interesting that you're doing these radio shows around the country, and they submit their local liners. And you read the liners about a street dance, you know, in Dodge City or a big event, a fundraiser. Now a lot of the stations are doing their equivalent of Camp Out for Kids raising money for the for the less fortunate and things like that so it's it's kind of an interesting job to have and I'm able to do that here in the comfort of my home so my commute time is a good three to five seconds we have a one year old collie she comes down and uh, hangs out with me in the studio and so it's all good I'm able to take uh, my daughter to school and my wife works from home some days a week so it's great I mean things are great and I'm able to do that and it's awesome to still be able to do radio for forty five years
1: oh no kidding now you are Old, getting to the point where where retirement is, is old probably, you know retirement.
0: You know, I I don't really need to retire because I can just do this. True, you know, I it's it's not like it's a blue collar job where I'm I like tearing my body up every day. As long as my voice still functions, and some days better than others, but ultimately I can just come downstairs, knock out a show, and then go back out and take uh take my daughter to school or pick her up and take her to she's in select softball, so we got a lot of practices. A lot of things like that. It's great to be able to have that flexibility. You know, doing a radio show at a radio station, I would never do that again. It's uh, its fun to do radio from the comfort of your own home.
1: I'll be honest with you. It's almost like you're already retired. You just have a kind of a full-time job.
0: It's just kind of, uh, it's not even really retired. It's just that I don't have to do get in a car and drive to a place. And that's killer. For as many years as I've driven between Lincoln and Omaha, It's like, I don't miss that at all. And I also don't miss getting up at 4.30. I don't miss that at all. There's no part of that that I miss.
1: What time do you normally wake up?
0: I I can't. Oh, now I wake up to take my daughter to school. So it's in the seven o'clock hour. So that's pretty reasonable. Most people get up then. But now I can binge watch Manifest and things like that. Great show. Um, My wife and I, we finally got to the end of season four of Manifest. So now we got to wait till June of next year to see what the hell's up with this airplane.
1: That's a fantastic show.
0: It is an amazing show. It's I'm I never saw Lost, so I don't know the correlation between what some people are saying this is like lost because people were on a plane on Lost. And I don't want to have a spoiler alert of what lost was about, but I assume the something happened with the people on the plane.
1: Yeah, I, I never watched Lost either, and I'd heard the same thing, and I don't ever yeah. want to watch Lost until this is 100%. Yeah, this is done, then I'll
0: watch that one and see how that one compares. But Manifest is a great show. It's got a lot of great actors in it that I don't know who any of them are, and they have amazing acting skills. So I like to watch shows like that uh, that are kind of off the radar a little bit. You a Squid Games fan? No, never watched Squid Games. It's really hard for us with a busy schedule to get into – a series. That's why this manifest was kind of a little bit outside what we normally do because it was 60 episodes. You really have to be careful when it's something that's current or you're going to hear the ending. And we didn't want to hear the ending of manifest. We didn't know if it actually ended in November of this year, but it actually is part one of the two-part ending. So the the next 10 episodes is in June of 2023. But we didn't know that until recently that because I do not want somebody to go on Facebook, and go, man, I can't believe they're all dead or, or whatever. You know, you didn't want to, you didn't, you didn't want to ruin it. What, you ruined whatever. it. You ruined it. You don't know. It's like, they're all dead. Oh, that's what I think anyway. But I think that they're all going to end up being dead. But anyway, uh, that's just one of the things that we get a chance to do. Now my wife has been locked up on watching those Christmas things on Hallmark. So I'm finding a lot of studio time down here, just messing <laughs> around, doing things. I will give you a show to binge watch on Hulu. All right. Letter Kenny. I I've been Johnny Royal told me to watch that. I just haven't had a chance uh to do that. They're so. ten
1: seasons in, it's about sixty-five, seventy episodes. Oh if, man. You, if you want, I promise you they are awesome. And they're only like twenty two to twenty five minutes. Well, but that's they good. Did, when it's all said and done, the the legacy of Tim Sheridan. I mean, I talked about it in the open. I mean, you've been in radio for forty five years. That's astonishing. Because longevity in radio is, it doesn't happen. People simply don't stay in the business for that length of time. For every reason you've been let go from a job or decided to move on, it sucked or budget constraints, or a new general manager has a different thought or a buddy
0: that he's going to bring in to replace you. We're going in a new direction. That's exactly. a, that's another buzzword. We're going in a new direction. What what kind of direction is that? Is that a direction that's that's going backwards? Is it a direction that's completely unfounded from reality as we are now? No, it's just a it's a budget cut. Why don't you just say we we're, we're having to cut budgets? Just yes. say that. People would appreciate if you're going to fire someone, say, "Dude, we don't have the money to pay you anymore. Budget constraints are what they are, and I'm going to have to let you go." Then it's like all right, I didn't do anything wrong. It's budget. I get it. I'm an adult, we move on. If that would have been what they would have said at at the the corporate, you know, the thing about the blaze was it was never anything against the people there. It's corporate, you know, it's like the people you don't see. It's yeah. like the invisible suits that make these decisions and then people go away and then everybody there's like, "Oh, dude, I'm sorry that happened." You know, it's just one of those things where that happens all over the country that people are at a certain place let's let's say you work at Twitter let's say you've been there a <laughs> long time and let's say don't. the company changes hands and the new guy comes in and says all these things and you uh you, you're not on board with that and let's say that he just decides because you're uh, saying something that the owner of the company doesn't like you're out or you don't want to do what the new company wants to do when you're out so there's a lot of companies twitter or not where people People got used to working from home during the pandemic and then slowly but surely companies are like, okay, I start coming back to the office and people are like, I don't know if I like that idea coming to an office thing. I kind of like being able to do my laundry while I'm working. I like the idea of being able to pick up my kids from school and come back to work. It's like, you know, if I'm getting the job done or not. So why can't I just work from home? We were just working at home 24 seven before. Now all of a sudden I got to go to a building. I don't think I'm on board with that. A lot of people have changed their lifestyle since the pandemic, that they, they feel like, well, if I can do this job from home, why do I need to get in my car, waste gas, and go to a building to do the same exact thing? Well, and from the standpoint of the business, why do
1: you want the rent and the utility bills of having a location anyway?
0: I read a story from, uh, I think it was New York Times. It makes me sound so sophisticated. It's said that a lot of corporate businesses are going to sell these giant skyscrapers and things like that because you can have 2,000 employees nationwide that are really good and not have a big office for them to be in. And they can do their job and everybody can monitor what they're doing. Why do they have to be in a giant corporate building that you're paying thousands of dollars a square foot for when people could just simply... You know, get a desk, throw up a couple of monitors and, and do their job. Just give them an FTP and, and let them do it. It's great because then if you if you get a great job like that, you can move anywhere in the world and be employed. You can uh, move to the Caribbean. It's like you have your great job and you can live uh, in paradise. You can live wherever you want and do your job.
1: Now, one thing that you did, and, and I probably kind of want to wrap it up with this because I think it's fascinating. One of our other episodes, we had a young lady on named Ronnie Willis, who is the founder of the Lincoln Historical Ghost Quest. And I believe for a while you were involved in a little bit of ghost hunting. How yes, did I did. A, it I, did a
0: more, I did a paranormal, uh, paranormal podcast called Paranormal Boulevard, named after Normal Boulevard in Lincoln. And that's where that came from. So we would hook up weekly or bi weekly with uh, other ghost chasing organizations around uh, the area. And we talked to people. Ted Poole is a guy that's uh, notoriously famous in the Lincoln area for uh, ghost hunting. He also gives uh, ghost tours of Lincoln. I don't know if he uses a trolley or whatever he uses, but he knows where all the haunted places are in Lincoln. So if you get a chance to go on a tour with Ted Poole, there's uh, there's a blazing listener. It's a shout out for Ted Uh, for that sort of thing. But we did a lot of uh, paranormal things. And I did go with Ted and some other people. And we did investigate the haunting of a house in Omaha. It was really strange because nothing specific happened on the date we were there. But the background of the woman that lived at this house, she said she she had to get out of the house because there's this light switch in the bathroom that kept getting turned on. It was a house built in you know probably the 30s. It's an old house. It was one of those hard when you flip the switch, it's one of those hard ones that go you know hard it makes a noise. it's not the soft ones. She says she would go to bed and it was just her and her her baby that couldn't even walk yet. She would go to bed and she'd wake up in the middle of the night and the bathroom light would be on. She'd go oh, I must have left it on. she'd turn it off, go to bed, wake up five in the morning there it's on again. Who in the hell's turning on this light switch? And then her baby's toys one time rolled across the floor and the baby wasn't even, the baby was in the, the little net thing, you know, the little cage, whatever you want to call that. And the ball just goes across the floor and it freaked her out. She called her dad. She's hysterical. It's Dad, I got to get out of this house. She literally moved out of the house, left her stuff, grabbed the baby stuff and left. It was just, she wanted to know what was up. Well, she found out from the landlord that it's like, you're like the 10th person that's only stayed here like a month. But what does that tell you? I mean, just with nothing else, there's something going on there. We come in to investigate this. Nothing specific happened. We didn't catch any ghosts or anything that time. But there was just a weird room when you go in there. And it's too hard to describe what that's like. Because if anybody's watched any of these ghost adventures things, they always seem to have these moments of, dude, dude. You know, somebody touched me. Somebody grabbed my ankle. It was it was nothing like that. It was just a bizarre. You're going into this room with one of these meters, and you're you're hoping to see you know some some weird activity, but it's just you could tell the room wasn't like walking into any room into a house. You just walk in, and but you walk in in that particular room, and you just are like, well, there's something weird here, and it's really hard to describe what it was like. The radio station in Omaha, fifty ten Underwood, KFAB KJUR. There was a uh, back in the day, the basement of that building was a daycare, and uh, Tom Becca, who's very popular in the area, who worked at KFAB for many years, he did a ghost investigation with a little digital recorder. He was able to get some audio. Really, so it's really when you hear the audio, people are going to just look at you and say, "I don't believe it," and that's fine. You can't convince of someone of that unless it happens to you. When it happens to you, then. Your life changes because you know there is a next level. When I lost my daughter in 2001, there were a couple events that happened to me that I'm 100% convinced there is another level because of the things that happened. And I don't want to go into that now because this turns into then a paranormal thing, but just trust me. And it happened to my then wife as well at that time. It's bizarre. I'll tell you, it's like the day that you find out that uh, there are aliens. someday it'll be discovered. They'll either crash land somewhere where people can't hide it or we're going to find, you know, this big building on the moon or, or Mars or something. And it's like, okay, we're not alone. That's been decided. And from then on, the rest of humanity will be pre that and post that, like, you know, BC and AD. It's just like, once you have something paranormal happen to you, then you know, the next level is there. And it's kind of a bizarre way to look at it because. A lot of people have a hard time with that. And it's like, that's cool. That's I'm not going to try to convince anyone. I just know what happened to me. Yeah, I've actually had a couple of experiences that are a couple of steps yeah. on the other
1: side of explainable. So, right.
0: It does. It's like some, not everybody has those and some people do. And I know that since my friend Gay Baptiste passed away, if any of the people that I know that have passed away, if any of these people can get through He's the man that can do it. And I know at some point I'm going to have the courage to try to summon something from him, whether it's through a medium or something else. But if anybody can do it, he can do it. And and I also just wanted to, you know, a quick shout out to some of the people we lost along the way with the beginnings of The Blaze. I would be remiss if I didn't mention Ed Hunneke and uh, Nyla, two of the cornerstone of salespeople for The Blaze. They were right there at the beginning when the station started and Nyla and I had many, many meetings together. Nyla was always trying very hard to have the Blaze be a part of the mainstream of Lincoln Radio to get the respect from the media buyers. And it took a while, but eventually we got there and we always knew if we ever get Runza on the air, because Runza was represented by an advertising agency, If we ever get runs on the air, the blazes made it. And one day she came in and told me she got runs on the air. And that was when we knew the blaze was legit. And Ed Hunnicky, though, what a hell of a guy he was. Yep. You know, part of the station. He had all the great uh, clients where the guys like to hang out, if you know what I mean. uh,
1: Yes. Yes, I do. I went on a couple of sales calls with him. Yes.
0: As it turns out, the very first job I ever had in my life was as a dishwasher busboy at Nickerson Farms on Highway 6, and we know what that turned into <laughs> later on down the road. Talk about a transformation.
1: A couple more real quick of these kind of short answer ones. What game show would you want to host all-time
0: game shows? I always thought Let's Make a Deal was awesome. I watched that as a kid. I've always thought Let's Make a Deal was cool because it was different every show. Sure, they had the three doors, they had the hot models and all that, but I thought let's make a deal is cool because just when you think when Jay comes down the aisle and he's got a box, and do you want the box or do you want the curtain, nine times out of ten, the curtain's going to be a donkey in a stable and they just turn down, you know, a $1,000 diamond ring or something. So you just never knew what was going to happen. And Monty Hall comes down to the throng of people and says, who has a hard-boiled egg in their purse? The first one that can show me a hard-boiled egg gets to be on the sh- And, of course, all these women have eggs in their purses just in <laughs> case. So that was the concept of that show I thought was so awesome. And I think that it could be rebooted in, in 2022 to, you know, take it to that next level. And that would be a with lot of you fun. As, with you as the host. Uh, you know, I just don't fancy myself um, on TV, but I would love watching it. I could be an executive producer and be okay with that.
1: We'll give you that. Yeah.
0: Who was the
1: better Mick Malibu? Tim Sheridan or Tom Stevens?
0: <laughs> I believe both Micks were fine in their own era. I laughed out loud literally. I've known Joe Scar since 1985, and until I listened to his podcast, I never knew that he was Chuck what was it Chuck Ma- Chuck Marquette. Marquette. Chuck Marquette. That made me laugh out loud for a, a good 30 seconds. Chuck Marquette and Mick Malibu should should host a show sometime because those two names, just for the announcer to say them alone is 30 seconds. Chuck Marquette and Mick Malibu, that doesn't flow off your tongue at all. But I just thought that was awesome because if you do radio long enough, at some point you have to use a fake name. And at one point I got forced into you have to change your name. This is when Mix 106 signed on. Every jock that was on the radio station have to have an MM name. So I go, well, if I have to have an MM name, I'm gonna make it the most obnoxious name I could think of. So ultimately, with some help from people on the station, it came up with Mick Malibu. And I, you know, it sounds like somebody you would see on Magnum PI. He would be like, you know, one of those guest stars that would show up, and Mick Malibu would be there with the detective, and we'd solve a case in Miami. But Tom Stevens, he came to me and said, dude. Uh, You're done with McMalibu. Can I have it? And I go, dude, it's all yours. Knock it out. You know, take it to the next level. And so we both laughed about the McMalibu thing.
1: In the world we live in today, it's all video conferencing, video
0: calls. Have you ever done a Zoom call with no pants? No, I would not do that because at some point you have to stand up. We have done some FACs. We did a kind of a, we did some Zoom FACs. John and I did here over the last, we did that during the pandemic because everybody's at home. So we thought, well, let's have some fun and do some reunited FACs on a Friday. So we got a bunch of people to join us on our um, Zoom and we did some FACs and had some fun. Everybody had a drink. And, but I believe, I believe everyone was wearing pants, but we didn't do a pants check.
1: <laughs> What's your favorite holiday?
0: Christmas. Coming up. Christmas is coming up. Uh, my mom always made sure as kids, always had an awesome Christmas. She didn't make a lot of money raising three boys, but she always made sure we had a great Christmas. So that's always been a great holiday for me. That That's also why uh, it was always a soft spot in my heart that we did the camp out for kids. Tim, thank you so much for
1: taking the time to share some stories. It's been a blast catching up. We may have to find a watering hole and, and have a beverage and catch up even more.
0: From what I understand, there are several places that serve alcoholic beverages out this way. <laughs> There's a Julio's that just moved, uh, that just opened just down the road. Talk about uh, an old memory from The Blaze. Oh, yeah. Uh, Julio's. That's uh, where um, the planet brought in. What band was that? See, here I digress once again. Their their hit was... Remember that one in the 90s? Yes. Yes. Uh, oh, I cannot remember who that uh, was. Dummies, uh, um, crash test dummies.
1: Crash test dummies, yes.
0: Yes. They were at the radio station. That guy does have a deep voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, We tried to get him on the air, but he said, oh, I don't think it'd be good if I came in here, if I'm here for another station. We said, we, we don't care about the other station. Just come on the blaze and talk <laughs> about going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he didn't want to play along. but. Yeah. But they had a meet and greet at Julio's. And when Julio's opened up close to my house, I go, "This reminds me of the crash test dummies." Yeah. See, it my my whole life has come for full circle now. It has Tesla well, at, uh, you know, playing at uh, cheerleaders, crash test dummies at Julio's, and now I'm in West Omaha talking cool. to people from my basement.
1: <laughs> well, I'll have you crawl out of the basement here sometime in the near future, and we'll oh, go thank to Julio's. You.
0: That's good. I'm glad I don't work at the station that has the brown with loose spiders anymore. It's really good not to be there. Well, Tim, thank you so much for the time. Greatly, greatly appreciate it. This was fun, and have fun editing this thing down to a reasonable level. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of Nebraska Gems.